The following podcast includes some heavy themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. If you need support right now, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636, the Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800, or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You're listening to Our Voices, a podcast series from the Voices for Change, Self-Advocacy Group and RMIT University's Centre for Innovative Justice. Uh, my name is Michael Moon. I'm a 52-year-old male. Uh, I've been out of jail for about four, four and a bit years now and I'm just starting to get my life together. Michael is one of the members of the Voices for Change self-advocacy group. I was abused when I was 13, 14 in a boys' home. And back then, I didn't have no one to go to. Plus, because I, I was ashamed that it happened to me. It was a prison staff member at Boyd, Toronto. But back then, I didn't know. Like, I was too young. I was 13 years old. I didn't know who to go. I was, I was embarrassed and ashamed. I didn't want to tell anybody, especially my family. There was never none of this an organisation you go and talk to about it. No way, no. You know, so that's I can't really go too much into that because that's sort of my own doing that I didn't go and talk about that because I was embarrassed and ashamed. Instead of me being instead of the person being ashamed of what he'd done, I was ashamed and embarrassed of what happened. So I didn't talk about it. And I I'd I'd a couple of things on my mind like I'd grown up. I'd only started speaking about this when I was twenty eight, but prior to that I used to think I could do one of three things. I could just go on the way I have and keep on denying it and putting this wall up around me. Two, I can talk about it with a counsellor and all that sort of stuff. Or three, I can get out and find out where the bloke is. And because it's, it's it has helped me become a career criminal, I could find him, track him down and kill him. That's the three options I had. And I chose to talk about it with a counsellor at the age of about 28. And from then I found it a bit more comfortable to talk about and talk about and then that happened to me because, uh, like I said, when I was in, when I first went to the boys' home, I was there from riding motorbikes on the road and on a track without registration. I wasn't a, a thief or anything like that. I didn't steal things at that stage. But when you go there, obviously you meet other kids and the crimes get different and better and all that sort of it gets worse. Um, so I blame the department, the justice system, for some of, not all of it. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. But I, I blame the justice system for probably, if not not all, but probably at least half of me going in and out of jail because I was ashamed and I was of what happened to me, so I used drugs to hide it and mask it. And when you're using drugs, obviously people said to me, if you, I used to smoke marijuana, and people would say, oh, one drug's, you end up on other drugs. And I said, no, I won't, no, I won't. Well, they were right. In the end, I was a heroin addict. And then by then, when you're a heroin addict, uh, spending sometimes $1,500 a day, you need money. And the only place you're going to get money like that is from a bank. So obviously I, down the track, I ended up being charged for armed robberies. And uh, yeah, so my crime just got worse and worse. And I, to a certain extent, I blame the, the justice system for that because it was, I was too young to talk about what happened. I was too scared, you know, that something had happened to me. I've ever went back, if I, you know, said something and, staff had got me when I got, went back or when I was too embarrassed to talk about it. like which guy wants to talk about which kid wants to talk about being abused and have his mates know about it no one so I lived with the shame and the burden of that happening to me and not being able to talk about it 
So until I was old enough. So, yeah, like I said, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. And I do blame the Justice Department for some of that. Michael sustained his acquired brain injury from years of substance misuse and from surgery to remove tumours from his brain. When I found out about my required brain injury, I've had, I've had um, tumours removed from my brain. So obviously I've had a bit of a brain injury from that. That's what the doctors are telling me. And but a little bit prior to that, probably a year ago, um, like I knew nothing about an ABI. I just thought I had mental problems. Um, and then the doctor said, no, you, 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 got an, you have an ABI. And that's from, from the drug abuse. So that many times I've, I'd overdosed and gone into like a semi-like coma, laid there for hours, and but a few times I've been found blue, just about dead. Um, that's what's caused the, you know, I've killed brain cells in my head that uh, I still don't know much about the brain cells, but I've, apparently I've destroyed a lot of my brain, uh, the things in my head, the mechanisms, um, because of being overdosed in a drug-induced like in comas and all that sort of stuff. So... Yeah. Although Michael had a number of risk factors associated with having an acquired brain injury, his disability wasn't recognised while he was in the justice system. Despite the overrepresentation of people with disability in the justice system like Michael, disabilities and disability support needs are often overlooked by police, lawyers, courts and correctional officers. This can mean that behaviours associated with a person's disability can be misunderstood as someone acting out or being difficult resulting in disciplinary actions or further police charges. The lack of recognition can also mean that people with disability do not gain access to specific supports that can provide pathways out of crisis and cycles of offending. This is particularly the case for those hidden disabilities, such as acquired brain injury, autism spectrum disorder, ADHD and mild intellectual disability. The website supportingjustice.net has access to resources on recognising disability and accessing support in the criminal justice system. Like I said, I didn't really understand anything about it until a recent that I've been told, but I could see why I would never want to, you know, talk to anybody about it because I didn't understand it. It wasn't, it wasn't a common thing talked about in jail. Um, need, we need more aware, awareness of that's why people, I just see myself as just a broken machine. You know, like something wrong with this machine. That's just something wrong with it. It's like a, you know, when you see them robots being made and they kick one area out every now and then. Well, I see myself as like that, a bad robot. Because why am I doing different to what, say, let's say the people in my family? I'm the only one that gets in trouble in my family. Why am I doing this? Well, obviously, it was the ABI, um, all the drug use, uh, but I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't. They didn't take make that aware to me in prison. I didn't understand it. So I think that what we need is for things like that to be made available and so we can understand what an ABI is for one and uh, what we're going to do to try and better ourselves. Through this series, the Voices for Change self-advocates are sharing their experiences of the justice system, what helped them get to the other side and what they want changed. If we can get, like they've got the programs now in jail. Yeah, you've got programs in jail where they teach people and it's it's in the industries as to making stuff that the jail does from their corporate, for their business side of it. Why not have the programs that you've got to do in jail like to get parole because people don't 
when they're forced to be into a program, no one wants to go and sit down and be in a program. If people want to do it voluntarily, of course you're going to get a lot more out of it. In their head, you've got to do it, you've got to do it. These, what we need is programs when we come out of jail. You've got jobs, you can learn skills in jail, like I've, I've done me hospitality, cert free in hospitality in jail. I've done small motors. There's so many courses you can do in jail. But when it comes to the rehabilitation, as in these programs, I feel should be done on the outside that the prisoner wants to be involved with. Because if it's forced upon someone, you, you could ask 100 people and 99% will say that they'd rather be there voluntarily than being forced to be there. But like, there's, there's no... There's nothing for us when we get released from prison. There's no, and it's probably my own fault, but now that I'm mature enough to understand that there is organisations out there, well, I didn't use them because I didn't know about them. You know what I mean? Like, because of the ABI, I didn't know I had an ABI until a couple of years ago, right? Oh, not, not even let, less. Now, that prison I swear by, Marganite Prison, oh, that's a good prison because that's where I first started talking about what happened to me because you got the programs down there. It was a programs jail. I did the high violence down there and I you know, started thinking about the ripple effect down the track. So I might have one victim on the day, but I might have a thousand when you think about it, when they go home and you're telling their family. So you don't, you don't, you don't realise how big the ripple effect is. So, and this is a bit like with these organisations. For me, I've done over 20 years jail and boys' home. And the only thing that's changed is I don't believe in rehabilitation in jail it doesn't believe me as far as i'm concerned it's a load of shit sorry about saying that word but it is i've seen it i've been involved with it i've done the programs and like i said it stops at the front gate you know like like i said before the i've got out of jail and i've told the parole board i've re-offended the same week that you let me out of jail they said you can't tell us that you can't tell us that i said well you set me up to fail. You give me parole, but you haven't given me nowhere to go to, go and seek advice with, and with only $800 to get a jail, who's going to survive? Let me see one person, any person that's going to get out and make it and stand on their own two feet and survive outside the prison walls on $800. No one, no one can do it, mate. If anybody says they can do it, they're lying, because they can't. And then, you know, like once you're on the, and when you're on the merry-go-round of doing a burg when you know you've got no money, and then when something goes wrong, you get bail. They let you out. You just unbail, waiting for your court case to come up. Well, you, I, I used to. You know, this is this is exactly what I used to think. I used to think, well, I'm going to jail anyway, so fuck it. I might as well start using if I'm not already using. You know what I mean? And then you're on the merry-go-round and you're just going waiting for your turn to get picked up because I'd never front court. I'd always be warrant out for me arrest until they got me. I'd just keep on going until I got myself instead of having five charges. I'd have 150 charges. That's where we need some sort of change in the justice system. We need programs, like I said, run by people that are going to be doing it with their heart and soul. I think I'm a bit more intelligent in staying out of jail and not committing crime and all that now. I've moved on with my life. There's a hell of a lot more that can be done than the wasted years. I could do a lot more in the next 20 years helping people survive out of jail than what I did when I was sitting in jail. So um, a lot more can be done. For Michael, the poor quality of programs in and out of prisons as well as inflexible responses from parole officers, frustrated his efforts to rehabilitate. I've done the wrong thing. I've stopped up. I thought, well, why should I stop now? You know, I might as well be using drugs again and just wait till they pick me up and send me back to jail again. There's no... The rehabilitation... They say there's rehabilitation in jail, but I don't think there is. There is to a certain degree. The rehabilitation we needs, needs to happen outside when you're in the community, 
when you're around people that have never been in prison and all that sort of stuff, not with a bunch of prisoners that all they talk about is, oh, Pinchy's car, that, you know, when I was out, you should have seen it, it was real good, or, you know, I did this burg and I got all this jewellery. That's the sort of things that you hear in a, in a room when you're doing a program in jail. Well, why would you want to sit down and listen to that? You know what I mean? And, I, and believe me, I've done it before. I've been one of those people that spoke about stuff like that. But I'd much rather be outside in the community where that doesn't happen. Like with Voices for Justice, we don't sit there and talk about things that we've got away with in the past. We think about trying to achieve things for people to get over the line and succeed once they've got out of jail. We need people that are going to be more available, more people available, that they're going to be there in a caring way rather than a job capacity way. You understand what I mean? Like, Say like Arthur, for instance, he's there in a caring role. Well, he has been for me in a caring role, not as a as a, a supervisor or a parole officer or, you know, someone to stress me out. If you don't do this, you're going to go back to jail. That's what we need more of. We need more facilities available. Say when you've got a month to go in prison, you start all this paperwork and all the journey that you're going to do, the goals that you want to set for yourself once you're out, and you continue outside. In the end, I was content with saying, I'm just going to do me parole and be done with it. Then I get out with nothing hanging over my head because, like I said, parole to me has just been one big... It, it makes you feel nervous and stressed out. I mean, I can remember I was working once. I mean, Bacchus Marsh pouring concrete at 3.30. Now, once the concrete's been poured, you have to stay there and finish it or else you're going to redo the whole job. I've got a report here in the city at Swanson Street here, parole office, at, I think, 5 o'clock. Now, I rang him and I said, this, I'm going to be late. I'm in back of Smash. Um, and then, because my prolops, my original prolops had been on, was on holidays, the young guy said to me, if you're not here by five o'clock, consider it a breach. So what do I do? I throw my job in and leave leave the boss stranded or I go to parole. So what can I, you know what I mean? Like, And the people that employed me at the time, he, just, he stuck his neck out and gave me the opportunity, the chance that you don't get when you're a criminal in jail or out of jail. And so I went to the parole late. I got there probably 5.30 or something, and they said, listen, you're going to have to go before the board because it's not good enough. I said, well, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing, but you're just a pro- it's just a, pro- it's a program thing, mate. So as far as I'm concerned, they should parole board are there to keep an eye on you, tick the boxes, yes, you're doing this, yes, tell them what you're doing, not run the programs. And in that time, mind you, I'd done a 13-week course at the parole office Went for 13 weeks, one day a week, one night a week, and I got thanked by Supreme Court Justice Whelan because he was had something to do with the parole board then because I got the certificate for passing it. And a lot of blokes that had two or three weeks to go were going to not turn up again. I said, mate, turn up. You've done it. You've got it done. It's one less hurdle. You've got to jump being out on parole. And actually, I got a, he wasn't there, but Supreme Court Justice Whelan sent a message saying thank you. I hear you had good reports in the group and you got a few people over the line. So, you know, that's... That's me trying to do the right things. Over his lifetime, Michael has experienced significant difficulty finding safe, secure and long-term housing in the community. With my ABI, I suffer from anxiety, depression, stress. Like the, the last place that I was put on prior to me just moving, I was given this place through this program in jail. I think it was called Link Out. They put me into a place in Richmond. I honestly, after being there for a couple of months, I, I, used to think, I wish I was still in jail. Because there was more drugs where I was living in that boarding house than I'd seen in two years. Because I had a heroin dealer, an ice dealer, I had drug addicts knocking on the door. 
um, at two, three in the morning. At first, I used to feel sorry for them because I was one of them people doing that years ago. But then in the end, well, I wasn't getting no sleep. It was just, it just become so depressing for me. Like I said, I wrote a suicide note. I was, I was sitting there at two o'clock in the morning, rocking in the dark. That was, I thought, my only option because there was no option for housing. I, I got out of jail. I was a seg one priority when I got out of jail. That was in 2017. I had to put in for emergency transfer prior to me moving, which I ended up moving on my own because of the, the drug use and all that was going on there. That didn't happen. I'm still waiting for the ministry. The ministry is, they're saying to me, like, all uh, I wanted the one bedroom. They're saying, oh, yeah, when I rang up, they sent me a letter not long ago saying, we need more information because I'd moved. I told them I'd moved at this new address. I said, yeah. They said, can you please uh, send us a, um, a stat deck? Well, I rang them. I said, well, I don't know how to, where to get a stat deck from. You send me the stat deck and I'll get it filled out by the landlord and all that sort of stuff and I'll send it back to you. That was supposed to be by the 14th of January. Now, I rang them probably about the 18th or 19th of January saying, you wanted this information by then. I still got the letter on my phone. When he's going to send out the stat deck when I when I rang them the first time. And they said, oh, oh, oh. And she goes, oh, don't worry about it. I'll fix it up now on the computer. Well, in the meantime, she said to me, I will put you back on the waiting list. I said, so you're telling me by you not sending out me, sending that stat deck, you've decided to take me off the waiting list when I was a seg one back in 2017. I put an emergency transfer, transfer not long, a few months ago, and you're telling me I'm off the waiting list altogether now and not telling me about it. So if I hadn't rang up, I wouldn't have been still on the list. It's a communication breakdown, and this is one of the problems from coming out of jail, that they take me off the list and, and, all, and then put me back on in a matter of a phone call. So this is some of the breakdowns that we have once we leave in prison. It's just another kick in the guts for the prisoner. Now, you imagine someone getting out of jail that's like me. I suffer from stress, anxiety, and depression. Now, you imagine how I felt that day when that girl told me that on the phone not long ago. I, was, I started to stress. I thought, you're kidding. I'm waiting for a commission house where I know I'm safe for the rest of my life in a commission house, and then I can start my own organisation for helping prisoners getting out, but that's another story. But the organisations that people are coming out of jail to, I mean, there, there are organisations, what I'm saying, but they need to be run a bit more better than what they are because they're putting people in danger. There's not enough housing for people getting out of jail. Um, you know, and still, like, we're still going to feel it in a, a year or two to come. What about all these fires we've had re recently? Then people are going to make one housing, you know, as well. So it's, it's just getting, the housing list is getting tighter and tighter and you've got more people, the jail, they're building bigger jails. So obviously there's something, if someone, someone can't see the pattern, there's something wrong. Uh, to me, it used to be, I used to think, this is just an organisation involving the parole, police, everybody that wants to see the breakdown because they want us to go back, they get $120,000 a year for each prisoner. How much money is that for a year for each prisoner? You know what I mean? It's a lot, a lot of money. I reckon I could probably, if I had my own a business that was willing to back me, a big housing place, I, I reckon I could probably get people up and going with once they establish themselves in this house and the community, like the getting out of jail community they want to get together, I could do it for probably 60000 a year, half the money. Michael wants the Royal Commission into violence, abuse, neglect and exploitation of people with disability to change the criminal justice system. Specifically, he wants the Commission to consider the lack of quality programs that are available to people with acquired brain injury in prisons and the community. 
the lack of recognition of disability in the justice system, the lack of good transitions into housing and support, and importantly, Michael wants the Commission to recommend that policymakers include people with lived experience like himself in the process of developing solutions. That's what, what, I, what I want to do with the Voices for Change. That is my passion. If I can set new different boundaries or different ideas into people's heads. Like I'd rather two coppers get in the car and say, how are you? What, you know, what have you done? Rather than get over here. That's how they used to talk to us. And get over here, I want to talk to you. You know, well, half, half the time I'm running straight away, but wouldn't you rather two coppers getting out of a car or wanting to talk to you, being polite to each other, me, me and them talking to each other than angry words being spoke or, you know, you know, like it's, I never used to stop and talk to the police, mate. I was, I was gone. Um, but, yeah, I can see I'm sort of – I feel now that I want to be the person that can change and make a difference, and that's why I get so much out of Voices for Change. I hope someone at the Royal Commission will actually get off their bloody ass and listen to what some of us are saying, some of us have got to say. I don't mean to use that sort of language, but – if someone like me doesn't get fed up, it's been on the merry-go-round time and time again, who's going to voice their opinion for other people getting out of jail? And it's just going to be the same thing in another 20 years. You'll be talking to a different Michael that's got, who's matured enough to want to help and want to do things and put things in place that's actually been in jail and lived through the problem that wants to do something. You'll be listening to that person in another 20 years' time. So that's that's all I ask is let's let's get together and start doing something instead of just, I don't know, telling everybody fairy tales and just putting it under the carpet and bringing it up every few years and let's put it under the carpet again. Let's do something. Let's, you know, if you want to do something, get fed in or don't waste your time with a Royal Commission. It's a waste of time. You might as well just keep on going the way we have been for the last 20 or 30, 50 years, whatever. But, yeah, all I ask is please listen to what us people have got to say, the people that have been there and lived it, and I'm not an expert, but I know where some of the problems are, so listen to what I've got to say. Thank you for listening to Our Voices, a podcast series by the Voices for Change Self-Advocacy Group and the Centre for Innovative Justice at RMIT University. This series has been produced with the support of SIN Media. I'm Michael Harrell-Lambus from the Centre for Innovative Justice. You can learn more about the Centre's work on our website, cij.org.au. This podcast series touches on difficult topics. If you need support right now, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 22 4636, the Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800, or Lifeline on 13 11 14. In Victoria, if you're experiencing family violence, call Safe Steps on 1800 015 or men's line on 1300 78 9978. If you've experienced sexual assault, the Sexual Assault Crisis Line is 1800 806 292.